Hey, faithful listener. Thanks for tuning in to the P40 Ministries daily podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping you grow spiritually so you can grow personally. Let's grow together by building a consistent Bible reading routine. This is Jen, your host. And today we will be discussing the book of Mark. Happy Tuesday, friends and faithful listeners. Thanks for tuning into the P40 Ministries podcast on this lovely, lovely morning and for sharing a cup of coffee with me as we discuss the Bible this morning. And I've just had the most lovely morning this morning. <laughs> My dog puked on the floor twice. And the second time he puked on the floor, I, I swear my dog has ODD, okay? So I tell him to do something and he always does the opposite of what I ask him to do. So he was standing above the puke, okay, and uh, the puke was underneath him. So I tell him to stay. He steps directly into it and just drags it all over the floor and then runs from me. (laughs) Oh, that was really a lot of fun. But anyway, let's go ahead and talk about the Bible this morning. This is Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to be reading this out of the W.E.B. version of the Bible this morning. But uh, please feel free to read out of the version you usually read out of. And let's go ahead and jump right in. He said to them, Most certainly I tell you, there are some standing here who will in no way taste death until they see God's kingdom come with power. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and brought them up onto a high mountain privately by themselves. And he was changed into another form in front of them. His clothing became glistening, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah and Moses appeared to them, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter answered Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say, for they were very afraid. A cloud came, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly looking around, they saw no one with them anymore except Jesus only. As they were coming down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one what things they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this saying to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. I actually did an episode about this exact um, story back in Matthew, and I believe I entitled it, God Yells at Peter. And I'll explain to you guys why in a minute, why God the Father yells at Peter here. But actually, verse 1 here is a direct continuation from uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, which is actually what we talked about on Thursday. But just for sake of clarifying what's happening here, I'm going to reread those verses from Mark chapter 8. And these are verses 34 through 37. So it says here that, Jesus called the multitude to himself with his disciples and said to them, Whoever wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake and for the sake of the good news will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what will a man give in exchange for his life? For whoever will be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So as you can see, uh, verse 1 of chapter 9 continues right from this little monologue that Jesus gives 
to the multitudes here. And verse one here says, let's see here. He said, uh, most certainly I tell you, there are some standing here who will in no way taste death until they see God's kingdom come with power. So it's kind of important to acknowledge that um, this is a continuation of Mark chapter eight here, because, you know, Jesus just gave this long thing about, uh, you know, being ashamed of him and going to the cross. And he was just telling his disciples how he was speaking to them so plainly. He was telling them how he was going to go to the cross and how he was going to die and suffer and rise again on the third day. It says specifically that Jesus spoke very plainly to his disciples. Now, to the multitudes, he definitely did not speak plainly to them. Instead, he actually didn't tell them a lot of stuff, but he did tell them all this stuff about how if they want to follow Jesus and his words, they also have to follow him in the suffering, which is what we talked about on Thursday, how we all have to go through some sort of suffering. And we all do because the earth is uh, corrupt. You know, we've made it corrupt and suffering happens all the time. But Jesus talks about how instead of rather trying to cling to the life we have now, which is temporary and is not life-giving because everyone dies, unfortunately, that is the case. Everyone dies. Life here is temporary. It is fleeting. It is not life-giving in the end. The only thing that is life-giving in the end is Jesus and the gospel and you know, that is what leads us to eternal life. That is what leads us to life. So rather than clinging on to this like false sense of security that we have here with our own lives now, rather we should be clinging to the truth of the gospel and helping other people understand that truth as well. And that is what is actually life giving. So this doesn't mean that we have to go out and recklessly, you know, kill ourselves for Jesus. I don't believe that. But I also don't believe it's healthy for us to cling to life that is temporary rather than really understanding that Jesus is the true life giver and that true life comes through Jesus. So we shouldn't be ashamed of Jesus or of his gospel because that is what gives people true life. And so that is what he is saying here to these people. And so this was probably a very, very hard thing for these people to hear. And it's, it's a hard thing for me to talk about. And it's a hard thing for people nowadays to hear. No one wants to hear that we have to go through suffering of any sort for Jesus. Everybody loves the prosperity gospel, which is, um, you know, Jesus will give you this and this and this and this and all this great stuff if you follow him. But Jesus doesn't say that. He does say blessings will come, but those might not be blessings here on earth. Those might be blessings later on in heaven for you. So when, you know, Jesus says stuff like this, we don't like to hear it. Everyone loves the prosperity gospel. And even me, myself, I, I like the prosperity gospel. I mean, I would love for, <laughs> if I was a Jesus follower, for him to give me all this stuff here on earth. I mean, who doesn't want that? So that's why the prosperity gospel nowadays is so widely consumed and so widely taught is because it's nicer to hear. No one wants to go through suffering. No one wants to hear that we might have to suffer the same way Jesus does or or that we follow in some of his sufferings as a Christian. But, you know, Mark chapter eight kind of ends on a sour note there with, you know, if you or me are ashamed of Jesus and the gospel, when we get into heaven, Jesus is also going to be ashamed of us as well. I don't believe that that means that um, we don't have salvation. You know, I believe that if you believe that Jesus Christ is your savior <clears throat> and that he died and rose again on the third day, that you are a saved individual. But I mean, oh, that'd be so hard that when you get to heaven, Jesus is ashamed of you. Like that would be just very, very difficult. 
And uh, Jesus says that he will be ashamed of anybody who is ashamed of the gospel or of Jesus. And I fall into that category at times. I remember um, my church sometimes does these these things called coffee talks. Okay, so it's like a group of ladies that go to a coffee shop together and just talk about the Bible. There have been times where I am uncomfortable in such a public setting to openly be discussing the Bible. And I remember last time I was there, there's one lady that comes who um, she is very uh, loud, <laughs> like just her voice is loud. And uh, she was very loudly uh, discussing what she believed about this particular scripture that we were talking about at the coffee shop. And I remember feeling embarrassed because there were people around us. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're so publicly talking about the Bible. Like, what are these people going to think? And that was me being ashamed of Jesus and even of saying Jesus's name. I shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel because it is the life-giving truth that people need. So if we are ashamed of the gospel, who is going to preach it? No one. No one would ever preach the gospel if we are ashamed of it. So Jesus is saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel because when you're not, you know, publicly declaring the gospel and helping people, uh, you know, learn about Jesus and gain that forgiveness and freedom and eternal salvation, basically, then when you get into heaven, Jesus will also be ashamed of the fact that you did nothing on earth to declare the gospel. And that's kind of where Jesus ends here in Mark chapter 8. But then here's this thing of hope that he says here in Mark chapter 9, verse 1. He said to them, most certainly I tell you, there are some standing here who will in no way taste death until they see God's kingdom come with power. So what a life-giving thing for Jesus to say right then and there. What a life-giving thing that Jesus' kingdom was going to come with power. And some of them wouldn't even taste death until they saw this. Like That would be so interesting. <laughs> that would be so cool to see Jesus' kingdom come with power like that. So then this is what happens. This transfiguration is what happens here. So six days later... Jesus takes his one, uh, three of his disciples up onto this mountaintop with him. And he took Peter, James, and John. So a lot of people wonder why Jesus took those three as compared to the other uh, nine disciples that he had. I could barely do math there. <laughs> 12 minus 3 is 9. But anyway, people wonder why Jesus took these three disciples. But I would guess from my own opinion that these three disciples were the ones that were going to spread the gospel uh, the most out of all of Jesus's 12 disciples. These were the three with the most influence later on. Uh, you know, I mean, John, he wrote um, the book of John. Uh, James was John's brother. He's mentioned quite a few times throughout scripture. And then Peter, of course, is Peter. He wrote first and second Peter. And then also he, he uh, trained Mark, who wrote the book of Mark. So Mark was listening to all of Peter's words while he was writing all of this stuff. Peter had a direct influence on Mark and everything that was happening here in this gospel that we're reading right now. So that's at least my opinion why Jesus took these three up uh, to this mountain to um, see him transform like this. Because I mean, could you imagine if he took Judas up there? <laughs> <laughs> Judas the betrayer. Honestly, probably Judas never would have betrayed Jesus because he would have been scared out of his mind. But anyway, so it says here that six days after Jesus uh, talked about all that stuff, he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he brought them up onto a high mountain privately by themselves. And he was changed into another form right in front of them. 
And it says that his clothing became so white, it was like glistening. He had this light coming out from him. And Matthew actually says that Jesus' face was so bright, it, it's shone like the sun. So Jesus was radiating this light, this kind of glory that... Uh, Jesus was like radiating here. And so um, they're kind of like out of their minds right now watching this whole thing happen. But the cool thing about this is, um, you know, every time Jesus is described in the Bible, it's very, very similar. He's glistening. He's as white as snow. You know, that's every single time Jesus is described, even in the Old Testament, when he comes in his like glorious form, it's often very, very similar with how um, it's described right here with this transfiguration in front of Jesus's three disciples here. And so it says here that there was also Elijah and Moses like walking next to Jesus. And they're just talking with Jesus completely normally. And the interesting thing about this is that Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah. So this is why many people believe that when you get to heaven, no introductions are going to have to be made. You're just going to know who everybody is, which to me actually makes a lot of sense because it says in the Bible that God plays no favorites. So in other words, he loves Moses just as much as he loves you or he loves me. And he loves Elijah, who is a great prophet, just as much as he loves you and he loves me. So he plays no favorites. So you know, we're not going to go up to heaven and, and be like, oh, you know, this is Moses. He was so great. He was so wonderful. No, we're just going to know who every single person is and they're going to know us. And, uh, you know, we're all going to be on a very equal level. And the only person that's going to be worshipped is God himself and Jesus, of course. And so that's why many people believe that's why Peter, James and John were able to uh recognize Elijah and Moses. So it says here that they're walking and talking with Jesus. Then Peter says here, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say because he was afraid. (laughs) So he's just sitting there babbling while like Jesus is like transformed in front of him and he never saw anything so crazy in his entire life that he just like starts spewing out this nonsense. So he's like, Jesus, you know, forget all that stuff you said about suffering. You know, this is your glory. You know, let's make three tents, one for you, one for Elijah and one for Moses here. (laughs) So then as soon as Peter says this, God, the father who is in heaven, literally yells at Peter, kind of, not really, but interrupts Peter. And it says that the cloud came overshadowing them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So and 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 we see from Matthew that he actually said this while Peter was still talking. <laughs> so he's correcting Peter. God the Father is correcting Peter. Because Peter is putting Elijah and Moses on the same exact level as Jesus. So once Peter does this and he's like, let's make three tents, you know, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. Peter is getting into this whole like worship thing because he's he's afraid out of his mind and he's seeing God in his glorious kingdom with Elijah and Moses. And so he he's starting to put Elijah and Moses on the same level as Jesus. So as soon as he starts doing this, God, the father interrupts Peter and says, no, this right here, Jesus is my beloved son. This is the one you should listen to. And at this point, um, I believe Matthew actually also mentions that the disciples like fall down as dead. 
<laughs> so they they didn't die, but they fainted out of just complete and total fear. So then once the cloud passes and they're like down on the ground, like losing their minds, they get up and <laughs> Jesus is just standing there completely alone. And he's back to his normal self that people can look at without losing their minds. And so then it says in verse eight, suddenly looking around, they saw no one with them anymore except Jesus only. So um, they're probably pooping their pants right now out of fear. And they're walking back down the mountain and probably saying almost nothing, but maybe remembering what Jesus had said in verse one here of Mark chapter nine, that freedom giving verse that Jesus had said, which is most certainly I tell you, there are some standing here who will in no way taste death until they see God's kingdom come with power. They just saw God's kingdom come with power up on that mountain. They saw it. And there were three witnesses there that saw this. Three different eyewitnesses. In the Old Testament law, if a person was supposed to be accused in the court of law, three witnesses had to come forward in order to accuse this person. That means that three different eyewitnesses had to see it for something to be a truth. Jesus took three disciples, three of the most prominent disciples that he had up on the mountain to witness this thing that just happened so that people could know in the future that this was a truth. It wasn't just coming from Peter's mouth. It wasn't just coming from James or from John. It was coming from all three of them. Can you imagine if he had only taken Peter up on that mountain? You know, people would have thought Peter was absolutely crazy when he expresses this later on in Second Peter, which is what he does. He expresses this in Second Peter. He tells about this story in Second Peter when he wrote about it. People would have thought he was nuts. They'd have been like, yeah, right, you didn't see that. If, if just John had seen it, people wouldn't have believed him. It had to be these three disciples, these three prominent disciples that went up onto the mountain to see this thing at the exact same time so that they could each confirm each other's story and tell people that this was a truth. So this was a very, very important event that happened that Jesus did in fact want people to know that it happened, but not quite yet. <laughs> he didn't want anybody to know that this happened until after he had been risen from the dead, which is when it starts getting spread very uh, broadly all around. And probably the reason uh, Jesus didn't want anybody to know that this happened yet is because it would have delayed what he had come to do in the first place, which was to die for everybody's sins. You know, if the people had widely known this information, Jesus never would have would have died because the Pharisees would have been too frightened of the people because you could see that they were starting to get more and more frightened of the people uh, the farther this, this keeps going with Jesus as the people are trying to king him and everything. So the Pharisees would have been too frightened to do anything to Jesus had this information been publicly spread. Jesus's primary goal for coming to earth was not so that he could, you know, reign as king here on earth yet. That's coming, but not yet. It was so that we could be freed and forgiven. That was Jesus's goal for coming to earth. He paid the price of death 
for us so that we do not have to do that. So as Jesus is coming down this mountain, he says to his disciples, don't tell anyone this until after I have risen from the dead. So the disciples are sitting there questioning to each other and to themselves. They're like, what does rising from the dead mean? And I find that really interesting that they were questioning that because Jesus had already described everything that was going to happen to him in Mark chapter 8 when he was discussing all that stuff openly with his disciples. So see how this is all linked from Mark 8 all the way to right now, which is why I wanted to mention Mark 8 again. Jesus was openly discussing everything with his disciples about what was going to happen to him, that he was going to die, and three days later he was going to be risen from the dead. So his disciples are sitting there questioning it, which just shows maybe not how little faith they had, but how hard their hearts were maybe, or they just didn't have a good understanding of what was going on. Because whoever heard of rising from the dead, you know, I mean, they probably just did not understand. They couldn't fathom what was about to happen. It just didn't make any sense to them. So the disciples are sitting here questioning everything that is happening, questioning themselves, questioning what Jesus said about rising from the dead, and probably just, you know, wondering about what happened there on that mountain and how they had seen Jesus come with his glorious kingdom. They saw Jesus in his glory and everything that Jesus had said in verse 1 had come true. That those three disciples were not going to taste death, or not going to die in other words, until they saw Jesus' glory and Jesus' kingdom with power, coming with power, which is exactly what they saw. So friends and faithful listeners, this was Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 10 today. Hope you loved this uh, chapter of the Bible. And if you did, share it on your social media platforms and let everybody know that this podcast exists. You know, if this podcast has touched you in any way at all and uh, you've learned from it, then please do your best to help it grow by, um, you know, letting people know that this podcast does in fact exist. I've got some exciting guests coming on in a few weeks that I'm very, very excited about. So continue to stay tuned as I have some very, very exciting guests coming on the podcast as well. But friends and faithful listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Happy listening and God bless.